This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 8, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Gone are the days of football players assuming all of the risks of their own choices to play a high-impact contact sport. Today, football is the subject of a growing body of litigation surrounding brain injury. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, comments. Years ago, I, I read a headline in the Louisville Courier-Journal, which, of course, at one time was a, a large a boxing venue. Uh, and the headline was basically, the risk of brain injury keeps boxing controversial. <laughs> and I thought the same thing as with uh, litigation related to uh, brain injury in football, which is, well, look, once you get over the fact that these are people beating each other up to entertain a large number of people, it shouldn't be too controversial that there are risks associated with beating people up. And football, it seems like a, a prime example of that. I think legally, boxing and football are going to be seen uh, in two different lights. With boxing, the whole point of the game is to uh, aim blows at the other guy's head. And with football, uh, it will be argued, and I suspect with some success, that uh, you knew it was rough on the muscles and the joints. Uh, you knew that uh, there were a lot of physical risks, but uh, the players were not told how serious the risk of brain damage was and uh, might not have made the same decisions if they had been told. Okay. So what, what are we seeing right now with respect to what we know, what we should have known, what players should have been told about brain injury and the scope of, of litigation here? Well, we know that more than 4,000 uh, veteran players uh, are now being represented in claims for compensation. Uh, that's a lot. And that means that uh, there is likely to be litigation for uh, years to come. The litigation names not only the uh, most obvious uh, deep pocket uh, leak, but also, for example, uh, helmet maker. And to the extent that the cases become successful, you can expect that they will name various other defendants. Um, I predict in particular that uh, those involved in training and in sports medicine uh, are going to be pulled in. From the standpoint of the lawyers pressing these cases, they are after indications that the uh, owners knew uh, that it was more dangerous than they were letting on. They're also going to be looking for things like team doctors who sent players out uh, even though there were still some lingering signs of concussions. Now, uh, if you remember the asbestos litigation, uh, more than um, – thousands and thousands of companies sued. But uh, one of the things that uh, got juries in a punitive damages mood was the revelation that at some employers, uh, workers uh, would be examined. They would be told, oh, well, you know, you're coughing. Everyone coughs. I'll go back to work. And weren't told uh, that it was an occupational-related cough. And uh, they're going to be looking for those sorts of things. Uh, I'm sure that some doctors will be shown to have behaved well and probably others not so well. Well, what should be the understanding within the law from Walter Olson's perspective in terms of getting back to a situation where uh, people are largely charged with making their own determinations about their, their own, own risks? Determinations and historically, there was a very powerful principle of assumption of risk, which 
unless you were really defrauded in some way, unless someone said, uh, uh, look, here is a meadow to gamble over and it was, there was a cliff there instead and you fell down the Alps. Um, unless you were um, being um, really badly defrauded in your information about the thing, uh, uh, you, the law gave you the right to take uh, very substantial risks, including uh, grave physical risks. And that has been a principle the law has been um, much more dubious about the last 50 years, that from the law schools came an absolute charge saying, oh, assumption of risk is terrible. It stands in the way of social insurance through litigation. Uh, people don't really uh, decide on these things. They're just uh, led to do whatever the boss asks them. Assumption of risk is just a fiction. Now, the courts have not done away with it, but they have chipped it away to the point where um, lots and lots of lawsuits, and we remember the tobacco litigation, and we remember uh, the attempts at least to sue over uh, fast food and, and things like that. And uh, I think it's a fair statement that uh, the vitality of assumption of risk as a defense varies a great deal from state to state and court to court and situation to situation. And getting back to football for a moment, the lawyers are not all going to have to sue in a particular court, let's say, where the home team played. They're going to have a choice of a lot of different courts, and uh, lawyers are extremely good at finding the more liberal ones uh, where the uh, precedent is on their side on questions like assumption of risk. Are we getting to a point, and maybe you can speak to this in other kinds of litigation, where the claim is not necessarily what you knew, but what you should have known? Oh, definitely. Um, the argument will be, in the first place, uh, if someone in organized football was onto this, that uh, you were a member of the, the league and, and you know, this uh, either was or should have been spread among you, that if you had done a little bit of research, you would have known. Uh, and so you were willfully blind. These arguments come very naturally to lawyers. And so you don't have to find a memo in which someone uh, clearly was aware. You just have to show that uh, with a little digging, uh, they could have been uh, on top of this issue earlier than they were. Let me say a bit more about additional defendants because professional football is fed by college and ultimately by high school football. And uh, as defendants, uh, those may be particularly vulnerable. Um, in the first place, whatever the rules for players above the age of majority, if you are talking about uh, putting uh, kids out there who haven't reached legal age of majority yet, uh, you're going to come under a much more hostile legal regime. And the uh, exposure, uh, although here and there there is sovereign immunity that will keep government educational institutions from being sued, uh, these are not um, uh, places that want to court litigation against their very own constituency students. They are likely to uh, cut and run if there is a uh, significant chance of uh, getting bogged down in litigation. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org. 